think the mic is on, so I don't know who controls that, but uh, I was told to wear it and turn it off. Light. <clears throat> if you want to open your Bible, we're going to, you might want to keep them open because we're going to move quick and we're going to go through uh, a, a few different places today. But we want to start in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Let me tell you where we're going and how we're going to get there so that we can uh, stay on the same path together. I want to talk about adoption. The adoption that God does toward us, the doctrine of adoption, the concept of adoption, the fact that we are counted and considered to be sons and daughters of God, in Christ. Now I want to talk about practically how we flesh that out and how we model that in the world. God is the kind of God that brings in sinners. God is the kind of God that brings the fatherless in. God is a father to the fatherless. God is an advocate for those who have no advocate. This is what the Bible teaches. Jesus came into the world to seek and save the lost. Jesus came into the world to heal the sick, spiritually and physically. And as we, the redeemed, the people of God, reflect... Christ-likeness and the nature of God in the world, that's what we're called to do. We were made to reflect the image of God. We sinned. He has redeemed us in Christ. And we reflect that image again. We are being restored to the image of Christ. That's what the Bible says. We've been predestined to be conformed to the image of God's Son. That's, that's what it means to be redeemed. And then from there, we reflect our Redeemer God by being the kind of people who seek to redeem ourselves. That, that's where we're going. But to get there, I want to start with adoption. What the Bible says about it, what the Bible says about how God has adopted us, and we go from there. So, uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, and uh, you'll have to forgive me we're jumping in and reading half a verse and then moving on. That's what we're going to do. We're going to read half a verse. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. This is what it says. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Now there's, there's more. <laughs> but I want to stop there. That's, that's where we're going to start with this verse today. And uh, let, let me just say this for a second. Uh, I'm, I, I'm in no way an advocate for uh, absolutism when it comes to translations. I like my ESV. That's the ESV that we have up there. And all of my proof texts today come from the ESV. So I'm going to read the ESV. But I have to tell you, this is one of those places where I'm actually going to have to say I favor the King James Version. Because in the King James Version, John says, Behold... And I think to behold something is more than just to see it. Now, 
See is an accurate translation. That, that's true. But there's something more here than just a mere observance of a thing. There is a beholding that needs to take place. Because this is not a small thing <coughs> like, uh, see what kind of love? No, this is a behold moment here. Look at this. This had better capture your attention. Because this is not a small thing. This is not an insignificant thing. This is an incredibly significant thing that requires a beholder. Behold, what manner of love is this that we, emphasize the we, should be called children of God? What kind of love is this? It's worth beholding. So let's do that for a second. Behold this kind of love. See, we are, by nature, all of us, every single one of us, we are by nature, uh, when we come into the world, sinners. And, and, and what does it mean to be a sinner? To be a sinner, it means to be someone who breaks the law of God. Sin is the transgressing of the law of God. It's the breaking of the law of God. It's crossing the boundaries that God says not to cross. It's not doing the things that God says to do. Sin is all of those things. And the truth is, I think we all really deep down inside know that we sin. Even people who don't have the law of God and haven't been taught in Sunday school the Ten Commandments or haven't lived in a Western society where Ten Commandments are posted in public places, they all have some concept of good and evil. And all of us fall short of that concept of good and evil that we have. There's, there's no one except the most deluded and maniacal among us that would dare say we are without sin. You'd have to be pretty deluded to think that. Whatever your standards of, 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 of righteousness are, you probably don't live up to them perfectly, right? Well, that's a starting point. That's what it means to sin. From our perspective, from a Christian perspective, from a Christian worldview, from a biblical perspective, we would say again that sin is the breaking of God's law. Sin is what happens when we disobey what he says. <coughs> and all of us have. Every single one of us. And yet, God sent his son <coughs> into the world to die in the place of sinners. I know, like, this is a, this is basic Christianity. What's what, what, what are we talking about? Adoption? Right? Let's, I just want to get there, because... It's easy to read past a verse like, like what we have here and think, yeah, that's interesting, but, but it requires a beholding, so I'm going to demand one for a second. See, the kind of love that God has shown to us in Christ is the kind of love that someone has when they take a broken, fallen, wicked rebellious, hateful person, and then love them anyway. Sometimes people say that God loves us unconditionally, and thats uh, I don't think that's really a, a fair way or a right way to say it. Um, and apart from Christ, I have to tell you, without the redemption that is in Christ, what we have to look forward to is not an eternity of experiencing the love of God, but an eternity of experiencing the anger of God. And so, you know, we talk about love like it's this impersonal kind of generic thing. And 
God just loves everybody. No, I'm talking about something much more significant than that. God loved us while we were still sinners, Paul would say in the book of Romans. While we were rebels, while we had the spears raised to throw at him, while we were waving him the middle finger and rejecting him, he loved us then. And he has done more than just love us in the abstract. He has actually entered into the history of the world, sent his son to redeem us, and then forgiven us of our sins, and set his love upon us individually, changed our lives, and called us his children. That's what it means to be redeemed. That's what it means to be called children of God. That's the kind of love that John is talking about in this passage where he says, what manner of, again, forgive my King James here, behold, what manner of love is this, that we should be called children of God. It's a remarkable love. It's a counterintuitive love. It's not the kind of love you see in the world, generally speaking. Generally speaking, we're pretty good at loving those that love us, being kind to those who are kind to us. I, I love my children, and I think many times they are an example of Christianity to me, and they rebuke me and convict me of my sin. But as a parent, I have to tell you one of the conversations that I have to have regularly. Sorry, kids. I, I know some. The kids of the preacher. That's that's got to be like the worst place to be, right? But uh, how many times, you know, Christina and I were like, uh, oh, just because somebody was awful to you, that doesn't mean you should be awful to them. You've got to do better than that. We're the people of God. We have been forgiven. You've got to be able to show compassion towards people who are terrible. Because you're terrible apart from Christ. I mean, that's, that's the deal here. What manner of love is this? That we should be called children of God. So let me go on. I was going to camp here. But uh, that, that, that's a beholding, right? Uh, the Westminster... Shorter Catechism, which is which is what we we, we use the don't 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 worry about it, Zeke, leave it, leave it. But uh, we use the Baptist Catechism, which is which is similar. And it's kind of based on the Westminster Shorter Catechism, but we fixed the bad doctrine in there, like infant baptism and things like that. So um, that's why it's called Baptist Catechism now, right? But one of the questions in the Baptist Catechism and the Westminster Shorter Catechism is, what is adoption? And I think this is a great definition. So if you want a definition of adoption, I would start with this one. The Catechism says, Adoption is an act of God's free grace, whereby we are received into the number and have all the rights and privileges of the sons of God. So adoption is an act of God's free grace. An act of God's free grace means it's something God does that is not merited. It's God's act. We're not participants in it. He adopted us. And we are received into the number and have all of the rights and privileges of the sons of God, of the children of God. And so what does it mean to have the rights and privileges of the children of God? It, it means to be loved like a son and daughter. Some of you have children, right? Um, some of you are children, the ones right there. You're, you're all children if you... And most of us have experienced the love of a parent. Uh, some of us have been the parent. Some of us have been on the receiving end of the, of the love of parents. Uh, interestingly enough, we're talking today about those who maybe haven't experienced the love of parents. 
uh, the way that they should have in their lives. Maybe they aren't experiencing that the way that they should. So uh, some of us may be sitting here today, we, we don't really relate, but I, I don't know really what it's like to be loved by my parents the way that I should be loved by my parents. But for those of you who are parents, I, I would hope that you could you could recognize what it mean as a child. How much would I love that child? Well, well, let me just give you an illustration. Here's how much parents love children. Okay? kid before Connor was born, 18 years old. And this was, as I said, what advice do you have for us? And I thought we'd give the spirit answer said, you should get sleep. Because you're never going to sleep again. Uh, the reason parents don't sleep is because they're concerned about their kids, they're vigilant about their kids, they're praying about their kids, they're worried about feeding their kids, they're worried about clothing their kids, they're worried about how they about whether or not their kid's going to get the right degree in college, whether or not their kid's going to marry the right person, worried about what parent their kid's going to All of that, like all the time. They're worried about my kid walking fast enough. It's nine months. My kid's not running marathons yet. There's something wrong with my kid. They go to the doctor. There is a love there. And those children, when they come into the world, they will bite them. They will pull their mother's hair. They will use the bathroom and all the wrong places. All the they don't have any respect for the rules. They don't have any manners. And then, you know, the result of that, and it's all convenient. You don't ever get to finish a movie. Never, and, and you would think that a mother, and frankly, I'm done with this mess. I'm going to set the kid at the curb.
called and, and sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is a down payment on the inheritance that we're going to get. And what's the, what, why are we going to get an inheritance? We're going to get an inheritance. And we get the Holy Spirit now as a down payment on this inheritance because we have all of the rights and privileges of sons of God. That's what it means to be adopted. Verse 14, it says, The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. The guarantee of our inheritance is the down payment on the inheritance we get as sons and daughters of God. And of course, you know, in, in biblical times, um, the, the child would receive an inheritance from his parents. The firstborn would get a double portion of the inheritance. And this, this is like a big concept in the scriptures. That's the cultural context. But what we're being told here is that we have been adopted and that we are going to receive an inheritance as the sons and daughters of God. And the Holy Spirit is an evidence that God is going to give us that inheritance. That's a, that, that, there's a behold as well, right? That's, that's kind of a big deal. The Holy Spirit was given to the people of God to tell them... The Holy Spirit does more than that. He does many things for us. He, he leads us into the truth. He teaches us. He rebukes us. <coughs> he convicts us. <coughs> but he also comes as the down payment of an inheritance that we've got coming. The Holy Spirit brings an assurance to us that we are counted sons and daughters of God. In, in the book of Romans, and, and we'll go ahead and go over there, um, because I think this is, this is an appropriate place. In Romans 8, 15, let's go, let's go back there. There's a bunch in Romans 8. But in Romans 8, 15, we're told... I got so used to using the iPad Bible, so I'm turning pages like an animal here. I'm going to have to get back into that darkness. In Romans 8.15, uh, speaking of the Holy Spirit and, and what God has done in giving us the Spirit, it says, Paul says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit bears witness, Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we <coughs> suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified with Him. Okay, so like, just let me unpack this really, really fast. Paul says, just, just like he says in Ephesians, in the same way that the Spirit is given as a down payment of our inheritance. We have an inheritance as adopted sons and daughters of God. He tells us here that we have been given the spirit of adoption in verse 15 and we cry by that spirit, Abba, Father. Abba is the Aramaic, kind of like Daddy. That, that's what babies would say when they're held by their fathers as infants. We say Daddy or Dada and they would say something like Abba. And that becomes, um, I, I'm, I'm not ashamed, my 18 year old still is Daddy. Uh, and in this culture, a father in an affectionate relationship with his son or daughter be called Abba. And so the Holy Spirit, what he does when he comes into our life as people and adopted, the Holy Spirit comes in and we actually have a sense, I don't know how to say it, guys, a real, powerful 
remarkable sense of our sonship, being daughters of God. One of the most prominent and I think real and joyful evidences is redeemed and have been forgiven is that they have this spirit of adoption that from the inside out cries out to God as Father. Now a lot of us, before we were converted to Christ, we related to God. Maybe we related Him as, to, as judge. I, I know that certainly was my case. Uh, I, I had some kind of messed up ideas about what the gospel was, and I had some messed up ideas about who God was growing up. But one of the, one of the ways that I related to God was <clears throat> he, he was going to get me for what I did wrong. He, he was my judge. And I have to tell you, outside of Christ, that's a very real thing. God is going to judge the world in righteousness. But, but when I got saved, the biggest difference to me wasn't at first how I looked on the outside. I still had some bad habits. I have some bad habits. Okay, uh, I still acted in some, act in some ways that I shouldn't have done, still do. Um, what happened was I realized and I was convinced and I was persuaded that God is my Father. And that when I come to Him and cry out to Him, I don't cry out to Him as the judge that I'm afraid of. I have a real sense that He is my Father. And that's how He says to come to Him. Come to Him as a Father. So the Holy Spirit comes. This is one of the fruits of adoption. This is one of the benefits of adoption. We have this spirit of adoption that takes us away from fear, the fear of judgment, the fear of God as judge, the fear of God as enemy. And that, that spirit, he, he persuades us that we are sons and daughters of God. Did I just, I'll just ask practically, do you know what I'm talking about? If, if you don't relate to God as Father, and you don't know what it means to, to be able to relate to Him as Father, examine yourself here. Am I a Christian? Do I know what it means to be a Christian? Because that's a big part of it. The assurance that we are sons and daughters of God is what the gift of the Holy Spirit looks like in our lives. And He does more than that. But He does at least that. It's a big deal. In Galatians 4, uh, Paul says it another way. Same thing, really. Galatians 4 Verses 1 through 7. This is a big section here. I'm, I'm just going to run through it. He says, talking about the difference between sons and slaves, Paul would say, uh, I mean that the heir, and, and again, an heir is a son that inherits something. An heir, as long as he is a child, is no different than a slave, though he's the owner of everything, but he under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer 
a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So God has taken us. He has adopted us. He has given us all the rights and privileges of the children of God. The first and foremost of those rights and privileges, the down payment of the entire inheritance, is Him giving us the Holy Spirit, by which we cry out from the heart, <coughs> from the inside out, Abba, Father. Do you know what it means? You do, right? <laughs> do you know what it means if you haven't had a father to be able to say, Father. You saw the video where that, that boy was ready. He was 17 years old. And he was ready to call his adopted dad, father, dad, like right away. Because there's a wound there. There's a need there. And even if we've had earthly fathers that were decent, and some of us didn't. But even if we did have earthly fathers that were decent, we still know what it's like to relate to God as enemies or to relate to God as judge. And that difference that it made in our lives when we were redeemed and forgiven, and now we relate to Him as Father. <coughs> if you, and I'm, and I'm talking to people who are in Christ. If you're not a Christian, the, the first thing I want to say is, He is ready and willing to save you and forgive you and to make you a son or a daughter. He is ready. And He will give you the Spirit. He will put a Spirit in you that will cry out, Abba. He will be a father to the fatherless. He will be that for you. You will never have to be truly alone because God is with you. That's what it means to have the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I'm talking to you now. What it means to be a Christian is to be a person who has been counted as a son and daughter of God. We're family, right? We're family, but we're not just family because we hang out and we know bad stuff about each other, although we do, right? We know some bad stuff about each other. And it's not what makes us family. What makes us family is that God has adopted us. We're brothers and sisters in Christ because we've been adopted in Christ. You will never, if you are in Christ, you will never relate to God as anything but Father into eternity at the judgment when I stand before Him on His throne. He is going to approach me like I'm His Son. I don't deserve that. It sounds too good to be true. It's just that's what the Gospel is. You don't ever have to relate to God except as Father. When you sin, when you stumble, when you do the same dumb thing you've done a hundred times, you shake your head and you say, I'm never going to get better. I'm never going to get through this. I don't even deserve to be a Christian. Maybe I'm not even a real Christian. While you're going through that little exercise, God is looking at you and saying, my son, my daughter, I love you. One of the most important things, if you're a parent, one of the most important things you could ever say to your children is, there's nothing you could ever do to make me not love you. Because that's what happens when parents love their children. But God 
If, if we know, like Jesus would say, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your Father in Heaven know how to give? Like, that's His impetus for us to pray. Like, ask for bread. He's not going to give you a, a, a stone, right? You know how to give good gifts to your children. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does our Father in Heaven know how to give us good gifts? So let me say it like this. If you are in Christ, if you are redeemed in Christ, there is nothing you could ever do that would make God not love you. And if it's any other way, then God's love for you is based on your performance. And guys, gals, it's not. There is nothing you could ever do to separate you from the love of God in Christ. Go on with Romans 8. Okay? Death, things present, things to come, principalities, power, nor anything else in creation, including yourself and actions. Nothing could ever separate you from the love of God in Christ. That's what it means to be adopted. Amen. So, part two. God has adopted us into his family, and he counts us as his own. All of the rights and privileges of being a child of God belong to you. Now, there is an example of a child of God that never sinned. That's Jesus, right? He's called the Son, God the Son. The Son of God, the Son of Man. He's, he's the Son. His inheritance is our inheritance. That's why God gave us the Holy Spirit. To prove that to us. To persuade us of that. Okay, so. Let me apply this. First of all, we can draw near to God as sons. Again, parents. When your kids screw up, I hope this is true, when your kids screw up, even if they screw up badly, when they come to you, you should be ready to receive them. That's the way you should be. You should be ready to receive them, even when they screw up. That's how God relates to us. We can draw near to God through the spirit of adoption. As though we are his children. You are in him. As a child. I am the owns the universe. We are never alone in the world. We are never left ourselves because God is our Father. Even when the world stands against us. Those of you who feel the pain of not having parents or not having a father or not having good role models, um, this is the gospel for you as well. Those of you who don't know what I'm talking about to be able to relate to God as Abba Father, 
I'm telling you, this is what the gospel offers you. Sonship. Being a daughter. So here's my question. All right, now, I'm going to shift gears for a minute. I thought this was Orphan Sunday. You've been talking about the doctrine of adoption. Okay? Why in the world would you start there? I'm glad you asked. I'm starting there because that's what we're supposed to reflect to the world. Now, I'm pumped about that verse in John. 1 John, chapter 3. The, the one that I, they behold, what manner of love is, uh, is this, that we should be called sons and daughters of God, that we should be called children of God. I'm pumped about that verse. I'm pumped about the fact that I am beloved and that I have the spirit of adoption crying out from me. I, I'm, I'm so excited about that. That's the best news in the world. That is absolutely life-changing, isn't it? It had better filter down into the way I relate to people. And while I'm telling you, you can't do anything to turn God's love away if you're His. That kind of love does call for not just action towards God. It certainly calls for action towards God, that we worship Him. But it also calls for action in how we relate to the world, how we relate to our own children, how we relate to our neighbors. Uh, Matt said this, or quoted this verse earlier. I, I think we probably at one point had mentioned that we were going to get here in some way, shape, or form. But you know, in James, in chapter 1, if you want to go over there, let's go over there for a second. James chapter 1, verse 27. I always want to get into a debate with people. Um, it used to be really popular to say, uh, uh, this is a sidebar, I'm sorry, I can't help myself. Uh, it used to be popular for people to say, well, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship, right? And, and, and what they mean by that is Christianity isn't just a religious ceremony, but it's a, it's a living relationship, an adoptive father-son relationship with living God. But um, I wonder what James would think about that. <laughs> because James says in... James 1, 27, like I said, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep one unstained from the world. So, and of course, he's using religion in a way that's not pejorative here. What James is telling us is if we've had a real experience with God, if we really are the people of God, if we're really living as the people of God, it's going to look like this. Okay? So pure religion... That is the real thing. <clears throat> this is what it looks like. It looks like visiting orphans and widows and keeping oneself unstained from the world. There is a practical thing that happens when we become the sons and daughters of God. Not only are we given the Holy Spirit by which we cry out, Abba, Father, the Holy Spirit starts to go to work in us and He begins to transform us into the image of Christ. We become Christ-like. This work of sanctification it's another one of the benefits of the work that Christ did for us. But it starts to change us and mold us and cause us to look like Christ. And what does Christ look like? Christ looks like the kind of person that would visit the orphans and the widows. And if you look at the ministry that Jesus had when he was walking the earth, he was visiting the sick, he was visiting the, 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 the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the drunks, and, and the worst, the people that no one else wanted anything to do with, that so much that the religious leaders would accuse him and say, 
you're eating and drinking with sinners. What's going on with this? He, he was compassionate towards the dregs of society, so to speak. See, if we've been given so much, see, we're rich. Did you know that? We tend to think of our richness in terms of how much money we have. Right? And, and, and there's some of us that have got some money, and there's some of us that are pretty broke, like from a material standpoint. But we're rich. Because our Father owns the universe. And we're loved. And we have a Father. We, we don't just have a Father. We have a Father that loves us to the uttermost. We have a Father that will never forsake us. If you're in Christ, you're rich. You have something to offer the world that they don't have. Being poor isn't just about being physically destitute, although it certainly includes that. And you should care about the poor who are physically destitute. You should care about the orphans who don't have fathers and mothers. In fact, that's where we're going here. <coughs> but it's easy for us to sit and think, well, I'm not really a person, so like, taking care of the widows and orphans and the poor, that's not really is coming to church, or my thing is Sunday school class, or my thing is going to the door to door evangelism. Those are all good things, by the way. I'm not criticizing any of those things. But what I would say is if you're a child, this is your thing. This is your thing. Not because you have enough, but because your father is the universe. That's why it's your thing. The Bible says, again, God in his interactions with his people. All the way back in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 18, it says about him, uh, also in 17, it says, The Lord your God is a God of God, the Lord of Lords, the mighty, the awesome God, who is not partial and makes no bribe. He is a just judge. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the sojourner, giving him food. And clothing. So now, hold on for a second. There's a bunch of places in the Bible where it talks about us being able to execute justice to the fathers, or to execute justice, the, the ESV verbiage. Execute justice for the fatherless, or execute justice for the orphan, or for the widow, or for whatever. And somebody might say, well, what does it mean? I mean, like, they just get their fair day in court like everybody else. What does it mean to execute justice towards them? And I think we have a very practical example. Because when the Bible says that God executes justice towards those same people, this is the way it describes. Giving him food and clothes. Giving him food and clothes. Then the Bible goes on, verse 19. Love the sojourner. I know the sojourner. This is a different Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the world. We were enemies of God. We've been redeemed. We've been called in. We've been adopted. <coughs> so what do we do in response to that? Well, we love the dregs of society. And we show them mercy. 
practically, reality. That means feeding them. That means clothing them. That might mean giving them a home. Isaiah 117. Um, I, I won't flip over there and preach from there, but Isaiah, you know, at the beginning of Isaiah, God is like rattling off all of this kind of this case against Israel and what they had done. But he says, you should learn to do good, seek justice, correct op oppression, and bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. And again, what does it mean to bring justice to the fatherless? I think practically what it means is that we need to care for these people. So, so let me just get there. Let me land the plane here, okay? Let me get there really quick. First of all, being a Christian, being redeemed, being a son or daughter of God means that I'm going to live differently than the way that I used to live. It means I'm going to do something. It means I'm going to relate to the world differently. One of the surest evidences that you are redeemed and indeed a son, a son or daughter of God is how you relate to the world. And I have to tell you, if it's easy for you to turn a blind eye to the suffering and those who are having difficulties, then there's something wrong here. There's, there's something that's short-circuited in our spirituality that has allowed us to see people say, and, and somebody say, well, might say, well, it's not that bad in Evansville. I, I can tell you, I, I've learned this firsthand. There are entire sections of this city where people don't have parents. I'm talking about little kids, like five, six-year-old kids, just wandering the streets. Now, they might make their way home to a parent who might be passed out from drug addiction, or the parent might be doing who knows what, but it's not uncommon at all. My, my wife and I, I'll tell you a story. Uh, last year on Orphan Sunday, a year ago, uh, we heard a sermon about foster care, and it was encouraging the church to consider, and this is this is a practical way, by the way, and, and we're going to see a video here in a minute that, that relates to this, but a practical way that we could be working out this kind of uh, adoption in, in how we relate to the community is to consider being foster parents. There are lots of kids right here, right now, in Vanderburg County that, that need foster parents. There, there's a shortage of foster parents, and, and the system is broken, and it's broken and it's getting worse. Like the, the people who are actually the social workers that get paid professionally to organize, they're not paid very well. And, you know, there are things about that whole thing that are really, really broken. So we heard this sermon and we said, uh, I, I know I said my inner dialogue, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm really glad that I go to a church that cares about kids that need foster care. But i got to tell you, that is not anything I'm ever going to have anything to do with. I don't have the heart for that. I have a heart for other ministries. Things that, like, you know, don't involve me getting my hands dirty. Um, and I think I probably even said to Christina, like, wow. Uh, and you, know, you may have even said it to me, like, yeah, wow, that's just, uh, I don't think I could do that. And so I left, and uh, God laughed. Two weeks later, Connor texts me. Uh, we, we, I guess it would have been it would have been Tuesday because we were doing Tuesday morning coffee. It was Thursday. That was, was it Thursday? Tuesday. Yeah, it was before we did the Tuesday thing. Okay, okay. it was a Thursday. I, I don't know. It was Tuesday or Thursday. It was one of the it was one of the days after we left for having coffee, the elders and uh, 
Connor texted me and he's like, hey, my friend Rondell just texted me and he's been taken out of his home. And uh, so Connor's friend Rondell was 15 and he had three sisters, one baby and then an eight-year-old and then a 12-year-old at the time. And, uh, and so <coughs> on a Thursday, this is like 9 a.m., I said, well, I'll call, send me what you've got. Connor actually had a picture of the letter from where DCS had taken them out of the home. And, and I said, well, I, I don't know what we can do for them, Connor, but we'll call the social worker and see if there's something we could do. So we talked to the social worker, it was probably 9, 9.30, and the social worker uh, ended up calling Christina, I was in a meeting for work, I come out of the meeting, social worker called me and he's like, okay, um, so if you guys wanna do this, We'll bring the kids by this evening. We should be there by 7. So literally in a day, completely unexpected, we went from, now that's, that sounds great, but we've already got four kids. We're good. We're flush with kids. To four more right then and there. And we're like, well, they're, they're going to say our house is not big enough, or they're going to say we don't have enough money, or they're going to have to do background checks. No, man, they're like, Okay, so the judge has made this work. We're going to do an emergency background check. We're going to do fingerprints at the house. And um, the mom is okay with the kids staying with you. So, bada bing, there we are. And, uh, and of course, those of you who were around last winter, you, you know, I mean, the, the, the church was definitely involved in that process. We had an opportunity to, uh, to, to have kids in our home uh, and, until February. We still have interaction with the kids. Who, who knows? I mean, this thing, this thing may go further. And uh, two, two of the girls are now with their biological father, and that situation is going well. We're very encouraged about that. Rondell's back with his mother, and uh, although that situation is not perfect, and, and you could certainly pray for Rondell, it's uh, he's managing, and, and, and we're we're navigating that situation. Uh, Daviana, <coughs> the oldest girl who is 13 now, she's 13 now. Daviana is still in foster care. And uh, we had hoped that she would be able to go live with her biological father. That hasn't exactly happened. So pray for us and pray for her. We still don't know exactly what's gonna happen in that situation. As far as we're concerned, we'd like to have her as a Melvin, but uh, we'll, we'll see what the Lord has to do. So here's where I'm going with this, all right? I, I don't wanna get sidetracked on the story. I, I know I'm going along. Uh, forgive me, but I think I think I think this deserves it for a second. It's really easy to feel good about what God has done for us, and to feel good about being forgiven, and to feel good about like heaven and the afterlife, and like oh man, life is good here, and I get to go to heaven when I die. But we're called to something more than that. We're called to something. We're called to actually engage with the world. And what that means is that means actually finding people who are in need and caring for them. And you may not be ready to be a foster parent. That's okay. Uh, let me tell you, the kids that are in danger in our community, the kids that, that end up in foster care, most of them would be tickled to death just to have a really good friend or a really good mentor involved in their life, an adult that they can talk to. And um, you could do that. You, you, you can't foster a kid, but you could find kids 
in the community, and, and, and we'll provide you with some avenues to do that. that to do that, um, Christy, per Christy Parker, I'm mumbling here. Christy Parker, who has no idea that I'm going to say this about her and would probably be embarrassed, but uh, she is a CASA worker. CASA workers work as advocates for children that are in the foster system and <coughs> represent them to the court. Um, you should mob her after church and ask her, if you're interested, what, what you could do to be an advocate for kids in those situations. Maybe, again, maybe you're not prepared to be a foster parent. That's something that, that you could do that's very real. Um, maybe you're like, you know, I didn't think about it, but I could use six or seven more kids. Um, there's at least that many that need foster parents, like right now. And uh, there's different kinds of foster parenting. Sometimes there's a long process where you have to take classes and become official and you get state money. But sometimes you can befriend families that are in need and something like what happened with us just happens. And so you, you never know. Uh, the last thing I'll say is be careful what you say no to. Um, our Father, who loves us more than we could imagine, sometimes he doesn't like to be told no. <laughs> and if he ever does something that overrides your no, it'll probably, probably be one of the best things ever. But um, consider these things. Consider the widow. Consider the orphan. Consider the sojourner. Uh, let your Christianity be the kind of Christianity that doesn't just feel good, but actually looks at the world and says, I serve a redeemer God. What can I do to redeem my culture? Uh, I, I'd like to go for about another hour, but uh, I know I know we're in trouble. For now. Matt, uh, Matt, Matt has a video he was going to show you. And, okay, we'll save that for all right, well, let's pray, and uh, we'll do the Lord's Supper. Gracious God, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak and represent you uh, and your word and your gospel and your truth and what you're doing in the world. Uh, forgive us because we are so comfortable in our, uh, in our richness, in our riches, even when we don't think we are. God, help us to have hearts that are tender towards, towards the needy. In Christ's name we pray.